0: Welcome to The Procurement Show.
1: Hello and welcome to The Procurement Show, the show that tackles the topics we all need to think about and sets out to explore the more interesting
2: bits of procurement. I'm Jonathan O'Brien. And I'm Paul Philpott. And in this episode, Jonathan O'Brien is going to share with us his enjoyment of modelling. And I'm not talking about his
0: early days in the next catalogue. Do you remember those days? I can't say I do, to be honest with you. The Procurement Show is brought to you by Positive Purchasing. Enabling the future of procurement in organisations around the globe.
1: And it's not the modelling you think it is because today we're talking about how cost modelling can help give us the edge. I can feel the sense of relief from everybody listening. So we live in this world of fake news. It's easy to make assumptions and take things for granted. But imagine, as procurement people, if we knew what it costs to manufacture something or what it costs our suppliers to manufacture something or provide a service. Negotiation would be really easy. We could know exactly where it is we need to get things to. Or we could optimize our business. Imagine if we know how prices would change over time and when we need to buy things or sell things. And many people have spent lifetimes trying to figure this stuff out. But imagine if we could do that. Because everything that we buy is made up of different cost components. There's the materials we buy, some services perhaps, labor, overheads, and of course, the supplier's profit. Are they making too much? Well, often we don't know. And in the case of the public sector, it's surplus. They don't make profit, but it's what money's left to perhaps reinvest in the greater good. So if we're going to get behind price and cost, we need to become detectives. And cost modelling is about looking at all the costs that go to make up something and figuring out what it should cost and then being able to compare it or do something with that information. However, even if we know that, it's not always practical or useful. So let me ask you this, Paul. Yes.
2: What does a can of Coca-Cola cost to buy? Well, since we're an international podcast, I'm going to put my figures in dollars, if you're happy with that. Yeah. And I'm just going to round up a dollar.
1: About a dollar. dollar. It cost a dollar. Yeah. If we walked into a store, about a dollar. What do you think it costs to produce that can?
2: It's going to be something crazy low, isn't it? 20 cents?
1: Well, you know, obviously that information isn't published. But if you look at the stuff that goes to make a can of Coke, it's probably about 40 to 50 cents, including all the marketing and all the shipping and distribution Uh that goes into that. So quite a bit of profit in the soft drinks industry. Is that useful if we walked into a store and said, actually, there's too much profit in this can of Coke? Well, I'd love to be able to argue that point. I don't think you'd get very far. Okay. So not useful because we're buying a brand. Mm -hmm. And because we're buying a brand, we've made that choice. They will set that price point, wherever they need it to be. What about an Apple iPhone? What does that cost to make, do you think? Okay, taking that previous example, I'm going to say... $300? $300? A bit high. And again, we don't know. But if you look okay. on the internet, there are people that have actually figured this out. Uh-huh. And it's estimated to cost about $150 to $200 to make an Apple iPhone. And clearly, that's a long way away from what we pay from one. If you go to Apple, if you go and say, Tim Cook, I'm paying too much. What's he going to do?
2: Um, he's going to say, why did I not attend his last birthday party? Because obviously, we know each other very yeah, well. Absolutely, yeah. But he'll
1: probably laugh me out the room, yeah. actually. So again, knowing the cost of things like that doesn't help us. Similarly, if we had something like a laptop, you know, that's way too complex to get behind. So there are scenarios where understanding the cost makeup of certain things doesn't help. But if we're buying something like cleaning services, then we can get behind how many hours, what sort of materials are going to make that. Or if we're in the business of perhaps, say, making bread, brewing beer, making pizza, then actually those things have discrete ingredients and we can begin to develop cost models. So let me introduce my guest on The Procurement Show today, we are very excited to have Anthony Fisher, who's Head of Data Acquisition for Mintech Analytics. Mintech provides food producers all around the world with spend intelligence about food products and has a clever online platform where producers can access pretty much any fact or data about the food sector and combine this to create dynamic cost models. Anthony, welcome to The Procurement Show. Good
3: Morning, Good morning Jonathan. Morning, Paul. Thank you very much for having me.
1: Hello there. Let's start with what's happening out there because you guys our experts on data. So what are the big shifts in raw materials pricing in recent times? What do you think has moved the most?
3: I think it's an interesting one all around, Jonathan. I mean, we cover around about 14,000 items and think picking out individual ones is not easy. But to give you a couple of examples of things that have moved over the last year, if we take rapeseed oil, which is an area of something that's become very popular. Going back to April 2020, the price was sitting around about £600 a metric tonne. Fast forward to January this year, it's now around about 800 a tonne. People will ask, why is that? What's happening with that? I mean, the major reasons with that are going to be demand increase for a product that is lower in saturated fats than something like palm oil. So it becomes something more popular. Also, there is demand alongside something like biodiesel which rapeseeds is used for. With something like this as well, production makes a difference in the product, the production figures. around about 35 million tonnes a year is produced, whereas palm oil around about 70 million. Therefore, it can have a big effect on what moves.
2: You threw in a figure earlier, Anthony. How many products did you say you track? Just under
3: 15,000. How does
2: knowing the cost of all those products help us?
3: Well, when we're looking to do negotiations, especially for procurement teams, generally they will have a range of products that they want to track. Now, that could be very big or very small, depending on what you are as a business and what you produce. Knowing what's happening and also what has happened with a product can give you a good idea or a good sense of where you think something is going to go. Looking at major factors that have affected it, things like weather area, what's causing the changes in that product can allow you to be in a very strong position if you go to a- any negotiations.
1: So where does the data come from? Because clearly the data is very valuable if we can go into a negotiation armed with information where we know exactly what something costs. But how do you get it? Where does it come from?
3: So the business has been going since the early 1980s. And over that time, that's how we've got to the level of information we have. We have probably three or four different ways of collecting. The first way is we get a lot of information that comes in, is aggregated into our system, comes from future commodity trading. So if you're something like the Chicago Board of Trade or the London Metal Exchange, we have the information that comes from there and people are able to track it in our platform. We also have information that comes from governmental sources which allows you to put the information in. And we also have a team which works with proprietary data where they speak to producers of the products and that then goes into our platform and allows to see our clients to see what's going on with the movements of those products.
0: The Procurement Show. Exploring the more interesting bits about procurement. And now, the Procurement Fun Fact. This edition's exciting tale of preposterous procurement, bizarre buying, or simply saucy sourcing.
1: Today's procurement fun fact is something celebrities buy to help boost their credibility and make themselves appear to be the thing of the moment. Something that you can identify with, Paul. We're all familiar with influencers posting a long trail of daily selfies doing everyday things, but the photo trail makes celebs look more popular if somebody else is taking the photos. You can buy your very own personal paparazzi service. I found this on Rooster.com, it's a company in Denver called Paparazzi in Denver and you hire them to be your own personal paparazzi. So they follow you around with cameras, they will spring out of bushes, they will snap you in the supermarket aisle, they'll capture you sleeping in your car after you've been thrown out. Maybe, if you're lucky, they'll capture you in your swimwear on the beach. Now, you wouldn't need this, Paul, because obviously this is like a daily thing for you. With of course, and for you. paparazzi and reporters. There was well,
2: paparazzi at the studios when
1: you arrived today. I don't think they were here for you. And if you're hosting an event, they'll organise the full red carpet treatment as well, with a full complement of paparazzi to photograph you as you're arriving and being interviewed. And then they'll publish the picture, and they'll try and push them onto various media agencies. All to make you look like a true celebrity. Who would have guessed? this week's Procurement Fun Fact
0: The Procurement Fun Fact Contact us by email hello at theprocurementshow.com Send us a tweet at Procurement Show or connect with us on LinkedIn Search for The Procurement Show
1: So to help understand cost modelling I think we need an example here So I've got an idea I think we should Start a global pizza company Uh, you know a bit like starbucks i love pizza so imagine a mission we're going to put an outlet in reach of every person on the planet Mm -hmm. which i think we've kind of stolen that from starbucks and we're going to be a little different to all the others we're going to make artisan pizzas fully in-house
2: using the best ingredients and we're going to call it johnny's pizza why johnny's pizza why not paul's pizza just because there's alliteration there and we like P Paul's Pizza it's got a ring to it don't you agree? Nope it's Johnny's Pizza okay so we're going to be
1: buying lots of ingredients here we're going to be buying flour and yeast we're going to need cheese chopped tomatoes for our American audience chopped tomatoes for the UK we're going to need onions mushrooms peppers herbs chillies uh, yeah we'll chilis? have some chilies. I like yeah, we'll have a special hot spicy one mm-hmm. perhaps we could have Paul's spicy one
2: that's fine that's a good compromise in Johnny's yes. Pizza
1: Parlour and we're going to need some premises we're going to need to buy water and energy kitchen equipment pizza ovens so lots of areas of spend there now we can only sell our pizzas at a certain price point we want to make a profit so knowing the cost of what we're buying is important knowing what we need to pay our suppliers, also knowing what it means if the price of our raw materials is going to change. So, Anthony, how would we go about building a cost model to understand what our pizzas should cost us to make?
3: Well, I think when we're looking at cost modelling in our platform, the first thing we'd look at is what is the makeup of that product what goes into it so looking at the recipe taking individual components and then using the raw material blending function we have in the platform adding them together relevant percentages and it would bring out a trend as to what's going on with that product now when we're saying about what will happen with those? I think one of the things is knowing what could happen in the future is looking at what's happened before, what's happening now, and the major areas that could affect what's going to go on.
1: So, just so I'm clear, what you're able to do then is take different bits of information about those ingredients and then
2: sort of connect them together in some way. Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to ask actually, how detailed do you need to go? How much of combining of this data do you need? Do you need to look at, say, for example, our pizza firm? I could go out and I could just buy pizza. Source for our pizzas. But do I actually, therefore, in order to get a better picture of the overall behind the scenes, do I need to look at the price of tomatoes, the price of onions, the price of garlic, the price of herbs?
3: Yes, absolutely, Paul. That is one of the big things that we look at in our system. If we take tomatoes as an example you mentioned there, it will be looking at where are your tomatoes coming from? Big region everyone would know about, Italy. Also, big areas of production in Spain and Portugal. And being able to know where yours come from to be able to put together your source so that you know what's going to be the price movement of that item.
1: So if we've got data about what things cost, I mean, that data is kind of current today and it'll be based on how things have been recently. But is it possible to use data to begin to predict what will happen?
3: Prediction is quite an interesting one to be able to get to. We are looking at various different ways of being able to put predictions into our tool. If we look back, it is always an interesting one to look back and see what's happened with a product. If it's at a very high price at the moment a procurement team probably would look at short-term buying. If something is at a five-year low, they might take a decision that it's only really going to increase in price. So they might try and lock in for as long a period as they can, that product at the price it is now.
2: I love the concept of prediction, but you must admit that there are certain external influences that we can't predict for, Mm. aren't there? I mean, there are so many variables in the world. Say, for example, all of a sudden we wake up tomorrow and there's a global shortage of cheese. No! Yes, it's going to happen tomorrow. I'll tell you, it's all linked to the elections that would be catastrophic how can we better prepare for those kind of scenarios that perhaps we might not even know are around the corner
3: Well, there are going to be some factors that are very difficult to prepare for, weather being obviously the biggest one in this. We have a team of analysts. What they would do is they look into certain markets and they write reports on what is happening in those and see what is going on. They would look at production. They would look at consumption. And are we heading towards the shortage of certain products? And that would allow our clients to be able to see where they think some of those pinch points might be. Okay, so are you able to share any
1: examples of where using data about raw material products has led to a company, to somebody being able to achieve or do something really powerful, get a really good outcome?
3: If we go back a few years, I think probably around about 2015, 16, I think it was around there, I was working with a client who recently started using our platform and they were looking at canned baked beans, their own label baked beans been using our platform and looking at what had happened over the period of their last contract they were able to renegotiate and they were able to receive a refund of around 2 million pounds wow. well by showing that the price had moved that much during The period of the contract. Well, that's a big shift in baked bean prices. yeah,
2: Yeah. I want to drop two catchphrases on you big data and artificial intelligence. Big data, which is something that everybody discusses, but probably none of us really know what it is anyway. When you've got big data and you've got so many data sources, you have the potential to bring artificial intelligence into the fold, don't you? Do you think this is possible and how do you think it will help us? And also, can I ask, what does big data mean to you?
3: Big data, whenever I look at it, will be a large amount of data being pulled into one place. And I think there is the ability to bring in, as we all know, we have access 24 hours a day to data and to information through smartphones and tablets, etc. But it's about trusting the information that you have and getting the information that you're able to use and feel comfortable with. You could end up with almost too much information in certain ones. But I think it is a good thing to have a good amount of data brought in from different sources, and then being able to look and make, which is the biggest thing for procurement teams, informed decisions based on fact at that particular point.
2: And we very quickly interrupt this interview to bring you another Ask Jonathan. It's
0: time to Ask Jonathan.
2: And today's Ask Jonathan has been emailed in from Elsa Granilla in New Jersey. She writes, Jonathan... I have recently been promoted to a buyer role and I am now finding myself needing to negotiate with suppliers. I don't have any training for this, but I'm learning fast. My biggest difficulty, however, is that I don't know what the right deal should be or what I should be aiming for? Can you help? Well, <laughs> there's a big question.
1: I can help, Elsa, because the, the thing here is you're not alone. And what you're just saying there is one of the problems that buyers and procurement people all over the world struggle with. Often we don't admit it because we're a bit scared to. But the reality is when we negotiate, most of the time we're blind or at best partially sighted. We really do not know what a good deal should be. If we did it would be easy and of course it's the suppliers job to prevent us from knowing what good should look like. So as we've been talking about cost modeling today there are a small number of situations where we can do a cost model and we really can know what something should cost but those are limited to the items where we're able to get behind the ingredients, the raw materials, the things that go to make it up and model that and that's probably only about 5 or 10% of things that we buy. For the rest of negotiations, we have to kind of feel our way. So we can do good data gathering, and data gathering, fact-finding, understanding as much as we can about the suppliers, the marketplace, and whatever intelligence we can gather helps us prepare and be as informed as we can beyond that it's about getting into the negotiation with them it's about studying body language listening to what they're saying trying different positions and all of the things we do in negotiation to feel our way to what good looks like and that's as good as it gets but the more you do it the better you'll get as it
2: great question elsa and very best of luck from us both if you'd like to send in a question to ask jonathan
0: here's how ask jonathan Email your question to jonathan at theprocurementshow.com you might be part of the next show. So for
1: procurement teams, and we've talked a lot about how MinTech helps organisations with the platform that you provide. So is it just a case of pressing a button and you get all the answers? Or is there a skill with using data and deciding which bits to combine and how you're going to configure that in some way to give you the insight that you need?
3: If I'm looking at our platform, I can bring up a price for a particular product, an Egyptian onion, for example, I could bring that up in my platform and have a look at the market movement in a few seconds if we're talking about it for procurement teams there is a large skill in being able to make decisions at the right time that benefit a business obviously if you get those decisions wrong it could cost a large amount when maybe it shouldn't. So I don't think it's a case of just pressing a button. It is being armed with the facts and being able to use those in your negotiations. What do you
2: think the future looks like for the use of data and procurement? How do you think procurement departments and personnel can prepare? for all this data about to flood through their data pipes.
3: I think there's a couple of things with that, Paul. I think it's present and future. I think a lot of teams are using data now. There'll be a different level as to how much they're using data, but a lot of procurement teams will be using it. I think going forward, we will see more amalgamation of data into their own in-house systems. We have the ability from our platform, for example, to feed our data straight into a company's platform so that they can see what the market price is showing alongside what they're paying, for example, and they can do the analysis themselves. So that allows them to do it. And I think we will move on further with stages for predictive. So when we launch
1: Johnny's Pizza, uh, we'll get you signed up, Anthony, so we can then cost model our pizza dough our tomato sauce, and our ingredients. And we'll know if we're profitable. We can negotiate well with our suppliers. Anthony Fisher, Head of Data Acquisition for Mintech Analytics, thank you so much for coming on The Procurement Show today. It's been a delight to have you on.
0: Thank you very much. The Procurement Show. The latest thinking, the greatest insights.
2: What an interesting
1: discussion. I know. It's an interesting world, the whole world of data and where it's going. All those
0: products, all
2: those data. Can you imagine the kind of control panel, what do they call them, dashboard you could build? I'd have a big screen just so I can monitor the price of... I don't know, peaches. Just because I can. Peaches? or well, you could put that on your pizza. You could peach pizza. Pe- peach pizza. Old pe- pe- peach pizza. Yeah. Alliteration in there. Favourite pizza? Has to be vegetarian supreme, actually, believe it or not. Does it? Okay. Yeah. I'm probably a major meat man myself. I can imagine you are, yes. You've been listening to The Procurement Show. Don't forget you can get in touch with any questions or if you want to come on the programme, if you have any comments, we'll give you details of how to do so in a few moments. But of course, that most important thing we'd like you to do is click subscribe.
0: You've been listening to The Procurement Show. Contact us by email, hello at theprocurementshow.com. Connect with us. On LinkedIn, search for The Procurement Show and on Twitter, at Procurement Show. Visit us at theprocurementshow.com. The Procurement Show is brought to you by Positive Purchasing, enabling the future of procurement in organizations around the globe. Copyright Positive Purchasing. All rights reserved. Produced by Fresh Air Studios.